That's Rip Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome to the program Fangraphs senior writer and Hall of Fame expert Jay Jaffe. Jay and I discuss the returning candidates for whom Jaws, Jay's patented system, held the greatest surprises, the shifting standards for starting pitching given modern usage trends, and the voting behavior of the BBWAA electorate. Ultimately, we also consider what we would like the Hall of Fame to be as an institution. An honor for players, a museum, a sandwich, some combination of the three? The answer is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the cost of three quarters of a craft beer, you can support the wonderful work at Fangraphs, including that of the aforementioned Jay Jaffe, Dan Zimborski's Zips Projections, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's Prospect Lists, and all the fine fantasy baseball-related words of Paul Spohr and the Rotographs crew. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy fan graphs without banner ads. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Jay Jaffe, senior writer and Hall of Fame aficionado, which begins right now. chatting about the hall of fame i have to say jay it is it is so nice there there are a number of reasons that it's really wonderful that you work at fangraphs.com but one of them is that when i get questions about hall of famers whose careers i know but don't know well enough to like have a considered hall of fame opinion about in my chats i can just say hey look at this great smart thing that jay jaffe wrote here's here are three thousand of his 20 million words on the Hall of Fame. You should read those. Give, yeah. give us a click on that and listen to someone whose opinion actually means something on these questions. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 been a lot of fun bringing this to fan graphs and, and, and figuring out a way to do it in conjunction with uh, – uh, with Sports Illustrated because that was that was something that was actually literally keeping me awake at nights, uh, uh, you know, over the past – Longer than a year before I le- before I left SI, I wondered how I was going to handle this, and you know it was solved uh, fairly painlessly, and and uh, you know it's great. I love I love that there's such a you know there's there's such a uh, devoted audience for this stuff now. You know people are interested. It generates discussion. It certainly, especially as the winters, uh, the hot stove winters have failed to generate a ton of heat. Uh, it's given my work a lot more chance to uh, to help fill in the cracks, and and uh, you know it's 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 better than issuing you know mid December report cards on on who still has needs to fill <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. It, it, you know it's a lot of fun to do this stuff, and and uh, it's been really cool to see that you know people take what I say seriously, even you know big name people within the industry who've been doing this for you know decades longer than I have actually you know defer to me on you know for for at least some some insights on on some of this stuff have you seen the sort of perspective around that change over time i mean obviously when we all start out we're i mean you've been you've been doing this a while but when we all start out we're sort of new and fresh and we're upstarts and there does come a time when people start to listen to us in our careers which always feels very strange and undeserved yeah it's definitely i mean there's a few stages and i actually kind of trace this a little bit uh when um I just there's a there's a piece uh, that uh, my former colleague at SI and and uh, Pinstripe Bible Cliff Corcoran just wrote about how you know which advanced metrics and how uh, they get absorbed into the main 
mainstream. And and for me, you know, coming from a coming from a very non traditional background, blogging at Futility Infielder starting in two thousand one, writing at Baseball Prospectus from two thousand four to two thousand twelve, you know that those venues kind of gave me the liberty to be irreverent and 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 uh, almost you know aggressively so, and to be the you know take a kind of a a, a class clown and you know outsider take, and you know moving to Sports Illustrated, getting on MLB Network. You know, both of those things, which happened in 2011 and 2012, and, and then getting baseball ref, uh, baseball reference to, to include Jaws among, among its metrics, all of a sudden things changed for, you know, for me and, and I had to change with it, you know, had, how to, uh, how to moderate my tone a little bit. And, uh, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, you, you put on a tie and people start listening to you. Um, that's just the, the, re, the, you know, the, the, the silly reality of this world, but, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's true in, in some regards. You put it on a tie and you go on TV and, you know, if you can, if you can string two sentences together and sound authoritative, you know, people will take note. And, and really that's what happened for me is that, you know, when I was able to, uh, to do that, all of a sudden, you know, I had, I had names, you know, names of people I've been reading for decades, you know, asking my opinions about things, uh, uh, you know, either, either publicly or, or, or in private. And, and, and that's been, you know, really amazing. You know, turn it, I was able to turn it into a book, uh, yeah. you know, and, and uh, hopefully uh, just the first of, uh, uh, of many. I would imagine that the mustache helps too, right? I mean, it didn't hurt. You if I know, Look, if I'd known the mustache was going to be so popular, I'd have grown it <laughs> 10 years ago. We might, we might be, you know, we might be having a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, over that time, I would imagine, you know, as the industry's thinking has sort of evolved on some of these candidates you know, who've come and gone that your own thinking has probably changed a little bit. I'm I'm curious. I mean, we can just confine it to the current ballot and, and the guys who aren't new to the ballot this year, but have been around for a couple of years. And I'm curious if there are any who, where you've had sort of the, the biggest change of, of opinion on whether their candidacy was um, relevant or deserving and, and what, what kind of changed for you over that time? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, you know, it's, I think, I would say that that it's probably it's it's relatively rare now for me to have my mind change drastically because I'm looking at the you know I'm looking mid at mid career you right. know guys who are on track for the Hall of Fame now and you know I, I have again I have the luxury of being able to draw upon you know years of doing this to 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 speak with a little bit of authority about it and to have it just as being you know just another another, another club in my bag in terms of oh. You know, there's nothing newsworthy, you know, grabbing me today. Let's write about the Hall of Fame. So, you know, taking mid-career looks at, you know, Chase Utley or, or Justin Verlander or whatever is is fine. Um, what I would say is that your two guys on this ballot that stand out for me, one, Sammy Sosa, you know, with the 609 home runs, even, you know, with and without the strong smoking gun of a PED, uh, like a positive test and suspension, you know, I, I'm surprised he's gotten so little support and have, you know, he's far off on Jaws, far further off on Jaws than, than, uh, I think my, what I would call my margins for error. Uh, although that's probably not the right, really the right use of the term. You know, I'm coming around to the idea that, okay, Sammy Sosa is not getting in and I'm not even really going to give him that strong consideration for a spot on my ballot anymore, even though I, I do bring him up every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of bullshit that surrounds, the way Sammy Sosa is treated now, um, yeah. you know, that really, that really galls me, especially, you know, by Tom Ricketts, who really is owed zero accountability uh, because A, he wasn't the owner of the Cubs at the time and B, 
you know, you're talking about a billionaire telling a, you know, somebody who grew up dirt poor in the Dominican Republic what to do is just a really ugly look. Yeah. So that's, but you know, I've, I guess I've, I've kind of let loose that, you know, Sammy Sosa is not going to happen for him anytime soon. And I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at that. I'm also surprised that Jeff Kent, A, hasn't, doesn't do very well in Jaws, you know, even with that, you know, considerable power for a second baseman, 377 home runs and which 350 something or were as a second baseman, you know, and a long career despite a late start, you know, over 9,000 plate appearances. Think it is, and uh, but that he doesn't really do that well in Jaws, and he hasn't really done that well with the voters. I mean, I know you know some voters look at my stuff, but I know eighty six percent of voters aren't looking at my stuff and deciding no on Jeff Ken. I can tell you that. Right. So I've, I, you know, I, I guess that was one that when I first did it, I was like, wow, really, Jeff Kent's not even that close. Okay. And, you know, I understand why, but I still have to explain it every year. I mean, you know, we talk about his low on base percentage. It's 356, which, you know, you get a, you get a 356 on base percentage from, from a middle in, a slugging middle infielder. That's, that's gotta be pretty good. Yeah, it's But, you know, you, you adjust for the era and it's just, you know, and throw in his crummy defense and, you know, which really wasn't that crummy until the end of his career when he probably should have moved to first base, but he just doesn't score that well. And, and I'm a little surprised at that. That's one of the big I, – I think I've said that in the piece and I know I've said it in years past that that was one of the bigger surprises in my system, you know, in terms of recently. A lot of the real revelations came early on when like, oh, Burp Plylevin? Huh. Right. Okay. Or, <laughs> huh, Jack Morris? No. Yeah. Uh, Dale Murphy, Dave Parker, these guys I grew up, you know, when they were in their primes, they were the – you know, when I was a kid, they were the biggest stars in baseball and they don't really come close in Jaws. Jim Rice – Guys like that. I, am, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, that Fred McGriff doesn't do so well. Again, you know, 377 on base from a guy with nearly 500 home runs, but, you know, fairly one-dimensional. You know, and, and defense and base running do count. And, you know, there's a lot that uh, that somebody like that did not actually do. So those are the ones I think that, the, that surprised me the most. Well, and I, I think that I, I occasionally, just to make sure that you're not being, you know, abused too terribly, will check in on your mentions after these posts go up. <laughs> oh, man. Which I've, I will admit I've stopped doing because yeah. it kind of bums me out. But, um, I I, so so you, have I. I, I could, you I, don't I, need I, me to stand in front of you against the Twitter trolls either. You're perfectly yeah. capable of taking them on by yourself. <laughs> I, you know, I, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's exhausting. I can't, yeah. you know, I like the Kurt Schilling profile. I'm just going to file that and walk away because there's no productive conversation that's going to be had. I will vouch yeah. for every word I said in the piece. I'm not going to re-argue, you know, re, to relitigate it in the comments section. I feel that way about most, you know, most everything I write. I mean, if somebody introduces something that I hadn't thought of, hey, you know, Let's 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 think sure. about that. But I'm not going to relitigate what I just spent four thousand words telling you. Um, right. I think is a, which I think is a generally a good rule of thumb when you're yeah. doing any kind of writing. <laughs> but it's so interesting because you know it's it's a very and we'll we'll talk about this a little more later. It's just such a profoundly strange institution because obviously every team has their own hall of fame right and we want so badly as fans for our guys to matter not just right. to like our team but to baseball and so i i get where i mean it, it often manifests itself in very rude and kind of perverse ways but i i get where the passion behind you know some of this stuff comes from if i don't know like maybe jeff kent's your guy Right? Like maybe he was the guy who taught you to love baseball because you watch Jeff Kent and then you're like, look at that guy. This game is amazing. So I get it when people are really enthused and passionate, but there's like this very profound myopia that sets in about our guys not being everyone's guys. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 indeed. And, you know, I mean, I think Omar Vizquel is a perfect example of that. I mean, right. just 
the aggressive anger that you get when you, you know, say, hey, Omar Vizquel looks pretty short on Hall of Fame stuff to me. And no, it's not just because he was being overshadowed by, you know, A-Rod, Nomar, and and, and Jeter. It's right. because his numbers actually aren't that good. You know, even, you know, even even if they superficially resemble Ozzie Smith's stats, you know, there's still a big distance. And, and I, you know, I, I get the passion and, and you know, and sometimes, uh, like, I don't enjoy punching down. Right. I wrote the, Visca- the Viscal piece. I actually started as a chapter in the Cooperstown casebook. And at one point when I was 40% over my word count, <laughs> which I know will shock you, Meg. <laughs> you've never you've never gone overly long, Jay. It's never yeah. happened, not even one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I realized that I had every other profile in the book was, was an affirmation of this guy's legitimacy as a Hall of Fame candidate. And that one was a, re- a refutation. It was like, how is that going to look? Yeah. If it's the only one in there... And if I'm, you know, if it, obviously it's a guy who, who people feel passionately about, you know, it's a, you know, it's, I don't want, I, I don't want that to stand out like that. So I pulled it from the book and, and, uh, you know, which made my life a little bit easier. Uh, you know, you just, uh, one thing I've, I, like, I, I think I've, I've enjoyed writing these, these one and done guys because the, we're not debating their Hall of Fame credentials. We're, you know, to use David Roth's term, we're remembering some guys. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they're mostly their, their fun memory. I mean, you know, some of them, sometimes they got, these guys played the goats and you got to acknowledge that. But like, you know, the, the joy that I felt this morning when I discovered that Freddie Garcia was still pitching in the Venezuelan Winter League at 41 and had just made his most recent start like less than a week ago. It was like, oh my God, this is great. You know, I like, you know, long live Freddie Garcia, you know, the, the Venezuelan Bartolo Colon or whatever. And, and, you know, or, or, you know, trying to understand like what led to Vernon Wells getting that seven year, $126 million contract or, you know, how the Mets screwed up so badly with Jason Bay and his concussions and things like that. And, you know, there, there are explanations as to why these guys did not, did not become Hall of Famers because, because some of them, you know, were legitimate all-stars and, and things like that. And, some of them made wrong decision, bad decisions like Miguel Tejada. Some of them just had just bad breaks and some of them were just, right. you know, grinders who, you know, for whom getting on the ballot is, uh, uh, really, you know, just the end game and affirmation of, of, uh, of a long and successful career that, you know, is, was good, not great. Can I tell you a, a story about Freddie Garcia and then you can decide if it's funny or not? <laughs> sure. So Freddie Garcia falls squarely into the, you know, I grew up a Mariners fan. So he falls squarely into the camp of like one of my guys, yep. which is its own, you know, he, he was sort of a, a cantankerous sort by, by all accounts. So <laughs> it's sort of funny what you don't know and therefore excuse when you're a kid. But I remember that there was a, a day at, uh, I guess it had to have been at Safeco where they, they gave away uh, promotional posters with Freddie Garcia. And we went to this game. I, I went with my, my parents, with my dad and my stepmom, and we got a couple of these posters. And one of them came to hang on the wall in the pantry in my parents' kitchen. <laughs> and it stayed there for years. Wow. Like they just sold this house and moved into a new house now that they're getting into their retirement time or close to. And, and it's still there to this day. My my brother is renting that house while uh, you know stuff closes and all that good scary real estate jazz and uh, and I have told him that he is not allowed to take it down and <laughs> that when he moves out he has to uh, safely deliver it to me because this artifact of my childhood which is just like a free piece of trash sure. 
that I was given at the gate. The fact that it stayed there just means so much to me. So I have looked at Freddie Garcia's dumb face like once a week for most of my life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, that, I think that's like, you, you, then you understand exactly what I'm saying. I mean, you yep. just, you know, there's a comfort in knowing that that thing survives like Freddie Garcia's career survives in some form and, and, you know, you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of an odd thing that sometimes your guy ends up being like one of those guys that you're glad someone like you was around to, to make a case for or whose team is around to make a case for. And so I am going to ask this question feeling very optimistic about the answer for all of the, the Mariners fans listening to this, which is Edgar in. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cool. I think, I think we're, I think we're, we're approaching uh, the promised land here. And, and, you know, this one means a lot to me too. Yeah. You know, I would say, uh, you know, while the Blylevin one was, you know, an early win for, uh, you know, for for the type of stuff I was doing, and the Tim Raines one was obviously a big deal for me. You know, there were other people who were who were, uh, um, you know, who were, who were, I think, uh, doing more of the outreach on that one. Yeah. The Edgar one, I think, I was I was pretty far ahead of the curve on that one, and and it got you know picked up by Seattle writers, and it got picked up by the team itself. And I, I'm very impressed by the, you know, I don't think I've seen a team get as involved in a Hall of Fame effort the way the Mariners have with Edgar. You know, it's to the point that every year, you know, when my when my Edgar profile comes out, it gets retweeted enough that I become a trending topic in Seattle on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, which is just amazing. I, I was actually born in Seattle. I have family on both sides there. Yeah. Um, my mm-hmm. uncle on my mom's side worked in his retirement years at the Safeco Field Diamond Club uh, as the as the head concierge there. Uh, he passed away uh, in January 2017 while I was writing the last chapter of the book. I dedicated, uh, you know, or didn't dedicate, but I, you know, I, I thanked uh, what I call the Edgar Martinez wing of the Jaffe family uh, uh, in the acknowledgments uh, for all. There was there were some screw ups in that uh, on the part of the publisher in terms of names near and dear to me that did not get in, but that one at least did. And so I know I've got family that that really wants to see Edgar get in. My uh, my my aunt who's widowed is is, and my cousins are certainly watching it closely, and uh, I'm going to be very excited when that happens. Yeah, he's he. Um, I I don't I don't have the privilege of knowing him or his wife uh, personally, but they they have just a sterling reputation as not only you know like being important to the legacy of baseball in Seattle, but just as people. They just seem like right. top notch folks who give back to the community and are really in, engaged and involved. And so I I really look forward to that because I think he's a pretty special human being um, and was obviously a very special baseball player. So it's going to be pretty cool to see him get to stand up there and be applauded by Griffey and Jay Buhner. They, they all made their little pilgrimage to Cooperstown when Griffey got in and, Mm -hmm. you know, wore their hats backward. And I, I look forward to the, Oh yeah. You know, that's great. That nucleus of, of Mariners uh, being able to return the favor of saluting him when he gets in. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, just just for a quick update here, I'm opening the uh, the the ballot tracker. Breaking news. So breaking news. Uh, Edgar needed 20 votes uh, or missed last year by 20 votes. So that's that's the number we're working with in terms of figure you know figuring he needs to gain at least 20 votes with what's believed to be about 37 percent of the electorate reporting. We've got he's at plus 17. So I think we're awesome. looking pretty pretty good. Excellent. Yay. Finally, a good thing for Mariners fans to look forward to in the 2019 yeah. season. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. Well, oh, I don't boy. know. The, I thought I thought that the the the, uh, the the Kikuchi signing was pretty cool. I think yeah. that's going to give, 
you know, give somebody, you know, somebody every fifth or sixth day is going to, you know, is, is going to keep that team uh, uh, interesting, at least, you know, hopefully, you know, if he lives up to his billing. Yeah. And what is Mariners fandom, if not living for, you know, every fifth day? <laughs> yeah. We're familiar yeah, with that that's, one that's recently. A, that's a phenomenon you're familiar with. Yes. <laughs> yes. I get it. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a, that's a good way to segue to another question that I, you know, I've really enjoyed editing these because not only has it reminded me of like the particulars of careers that I witnessed, not always uh, all of, but parts of as a young person, but not when I was thinking about baseball in the way that I am now, but also because you, you've, you know, sort of done a very good job of when you're dealing with pitchers on this ballot, looking at how they stack up to some of the guys who are pitching now, which leads us all to believe that there's sort of a reckoning coming in terms of how we think about yeah. starting pitchers and their place in the hall, because it has to change, right? I mean, guys are just not throwing the, the kind of innings that they were when, you know, you look at guys who are on this ballot. Yeah, it's 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 going to change. And I think, you know, we've it was a big deal when Burt Blylevin was elected in 2011 because he was the first pitcher in, I think it was 21 years elected with fewer than 300 wins. You know, I grew up at a time when we had the most durable cohort of pitchers in major in modern major league history in front of us nine guys who won 300 games i think it is you know guys who just dominated you know from the from the mid 60s and we're still going in the early 80s gaylord perry being a a uh, a mariners favorite uh, mm-hmm. uh towards the end of his career with those uh, uh ridiculous motions that that uh uh you know pre pre-pitched to to psych a batter out and make him believe that he was loading up the ball which are just you know I, some of my maybe not quite my earliest baseball memories but some of my more vivid ones you know in, in watching uh, the tail end of his career and uh, enjoying the uh, uh my grandparents uh cable uh, television mm-hmm. back in the day. But that group really kind of spoiled Hall of Fame voters for, you know, this understanding of what makes a Hall of Fame pitcher. Because before that, you had guys who, you know, who didn't win Cy Youngs and who didn't get 300 wins, but who would get into the Hall of Fame? Like Don Drysdale and, and Juan Marichal and, and you know, and, and after those that cohort came along, it was just 300 or bust. And and it took two, that, till 2015 to get more with uh, Pedro uh, Martinez and John Smoltz. We're still waiting for Mike Messina and Kurt Schilling to get in, but it looks like we're going to get Roy Halladay in this year. Those are the guys with fewer than 300 wins. And obviously, I think it's a, a long shot that we're going to see another 300-game winner for a while unless, you know, Clayton Kershaw can stay exceptionally healthy where he has not over the last few years or Justin Verlander or somebody like that. Right. We have to dial down our expectations because these guys are not going to be allowed to throw 250 innings a year. They're not going to be making, you know, more than more than 32 starts a year anymore. I call it the workload constraint era. You know, because it's it really has been a series of them. It's you know, no more complete games or fewer complete games. You know, the five man rotation, obviously, increased bullpen support. Now we're seeing you know short stays on the DL, even you know strategically placed to give guys rest. You know, we're seeing all kinds of things, and there are cons. You know, part of it's a consequence of going deeper into counts and burning your pitch counts that way, and our understanding of. You know, which which is admittedly crude at best of of the link between you know pitch counts and pitcher health, but yeah, we we do have to figure out what what the modern standard or what this you know twenty first century standard is going to look like. You know, the voters roundly rejected Johan Santana, two time Cy Young winner, just a couple of years ago, but they're going to have to reckon with uh, some of these guys who are who have uh, less full resumes than even the Messinas and Schillings. I mean, Halliday, I think, is, is is a good example there. Two hundred three wins, but two Cy Youngs, and uh, you know some really 
great accomplishments within what was rel- what was a relatively short career. Uh, I don't have a full statistical answer as to how to solve that, but I do think that uh, we have to be mindful that uh, the Jaws standard for starting pitchers is uh, maybe not the not going to be the uh, the greatest guide in that regard. You know, we we have to sort of start grading on a curve a little bit more, so to speak. Right. I mean, I'm looking at Baseball Reference, which has you know our current starting pitcher Jaws leaders. Boy, that's and a that's a page I hit about a hundred times a month. You know, I can a, a imagine. Month. Do you get your own system before the film Jaws if you Google Jaws? I doubt it. As a return? <laughs> I doubt. Let's see here. Uh, no. <laughs> Am Dang I on it. the first page? Uh, no. Ah, well. Yeah. Well, you know, Steven Spielberg did have a 40-year head start on exactly. me. 30, it's just 30, been actually, 30-year 30, 30 head start, really. But, uh, but yeah. It's just been more time. Um, so looking at this, right behind Roy Halladay on, on here is Clayton Kershaw, who's Jaws – I can't say Jaws score. It's nope. <laughs> ATM machine. <laughs> terrible. But his Jaws – how do you write around that normally? Jaws number? So his, his Jaws. His, his, his Jaws. His Jaws is, his jaws like, is 57-1. Right. Yeah. Which is just, uh, you know, 0. 0.4 behind Halliday. And yep. then we have Granky. Granky always surprises me. I think he, I think he kind of sneaks up on me on, on these. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, I think, well, he, Granky, the thing about Granky is he's got two seasons that are just head and shoulders above everything else. Right. He's got, uh, one of the small handful of 10 win seasons, 10, 10.4 war in 2009, the year he won this AL Cy Young. Uh, and then he's got that, Ridiculous season with the Dodgers a few years ago when he had the uh-huh. with the one sixty six ERA nine point one WAR and then his next his next best total is six point one which right. you know that's good uh, it's very good but that's you know you're not going to you're probably not going to get in the hall if that's your best season right um, and then he's got like in his peak score he's got two seasons that are four point something in there still so he's actually got some headroom to to improve. If he could ever put together another another big season, he would really uh, you know make a double time up the up the charts there and uh, uh, give himself a, a, a better shot. Although I think you know again, I, I and I've this is this has actually been sort of evolved into a project that I undertook this year was to check in on all these guys. Yeah, I wrote about CC Sabathia. I wrote about Verlander when he got to two hundred wins. I, I you know Granky. Actually, Felix was the first one, really, and that was in the, that was even before you know, or at the start of spring training. I think he just gotten whacked by the by the comebacker, which turned out to be an unfortunate metaphor for the uh, entire yeah. season. There, he's but, he's really. I, there was a time where I was ready as a as a Mariners fan to be like, look, he's not going to have he's not going to have win totals. I'm ready to fight this fight, both as a fan and an analyst. And it's looking it's looking a lot less good. Yeah, it's, it's looking less good now, Jay. It bums me out. <laughs> it's, it, I think it's well. I think it's a bummer because you know Felix was so obviously so beloved by the Mariners fan base and throughout baseball. And it's just yeah. you know watching anybody watching anybody get old and mediocre in this game is even though it happens to everybody, it, it's no fun. It's it's just you know it's a reality. But man, when you look at how hard he was worked, yeah. And how good he was for, and, and how good he was for so long, and mm-hmm. how some of that was kind of camouflaged by, you know, by by being on you know mediocre teams, uh, especially the the Jack Z era and all of its promise. Uh, the, mediocre the amount... teams is such a kind way of talking about that era of Mariners baseball. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> uh, I, I like I said, moderating my tone. 
moderating my tone. Um, uh, but Felix, yes. Felix is two months older than I am, and uh, oh, so he, this is yeah. So this is especially resonant for you then. Well, and for a long time, it was like Felix. Uh, Felix has done a literal perfect thing, and right. that's wild and intimidating. And I, I was bummed by it, but I was like, well, he's older, so that makes sense. <laughs> As if that excuses it. He he will be an interesting one. I mean, I guess all of these modern guys will be an interesting one for ones for the the writers. We've seen kind of a change in the voting behavior of them, and I I would like to talk to you about that a little bit because I've noticed, and I saw this in the comments to your on your Mariano Rivera piece, and then on Twitter that you know people seem ready to riot if Mariano is not a unanimous <laughs> Hall of Fame selection, and that seems quite unlikely with an anonymous ballot, yeah. right? Yeah, it's you know I think the unanimous discussion is one that it's it's like a perfect game. You know, yeah. you 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 you're mindful of the possibility of a perfect game or a no hitter for as long as it's in effect, and then you know when the inevitable happens, that first hit falls in, or that first walk, or that first error, or whatever. You're like, okay, let's forget about that and and enjoy the ball game here. And with Mariano, that hasn't happened yet. So we so we do talk about this stuff. And, you know, there was I think we've really, you know, the, the Ken Griffey Jr. missing by, th- you know, missing by three votes or, you know, missing unanimity by three votes, all of whom were, you know, turned out to be anonymous, I think has has kind of amplified that discussion, especially now that, you know, the vast majority, something like 70 percent plus of all ballots are published. So, you know, we do wonder whether. We're going to see somebody run the table. And I think the thing about Mariano that I have to remember is that there's always going to be people who are philosophically opposed to relievers in the Hall of Fame. And right. we actually had a voter come forward and say that. And then he said, you know what? I'm just going to keep my ballot in my pocket. His justification, the couple thousand words he wrote around that were not necessarily uh, the most well thought out. But I, I understand the impulse and I do sort of understand why why he decided that, you know, hey, it wasn't for him to spoil. I had feedback from, you know, when I used the term ballot management uh, in revealing my virtual ballot, like, why would why would you... Uh, leave Rivera off. Well, dummy, I'm not going to be the first. No. You know, even on a virtual ballot, I'm not going to be the first. I'm not that f- stupid. Dylan, <laughs> you know, because people swear. like because people people are people are going to riot. You know, again, I don't want to be that guy. And you know, for for me, Mariano Rivera meant a lot to my fandom. You know, even you know before my before my professional days. So yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be that guy. But uh, I, I think we we want to see it just because we want to see if it can be done. Right. And and I think that's the end of it. And, you know, we know that it doesn't really mean anything, you know, just like the last guy in the med school class to graduate is still doctor. You right. 99% is still a Hall of Famer, 94%, 84%, 75.1%. They're all Hall of Famers. And you don't get a special gold star on your plaque, you know, for getting a high vote total. And the list of highest voting percentages ever is not – does not really have a great correlation with uh, other measures of, of right. overall value. Right. The the writers haven't necessarily always covered themselves in glory in terms of the high vote total guys. Yeah, it's it's true. I what's interesting though is that, you know, we look at things like, you know, Willie Mays or Hank getting 92 something and Hank Aaron getting 97 something and think like who in their right mind could have possibly objected? And then you you know you think about the history of race in baseball, and right. maybe it's a little bit a little bit on the nose to say that. But when I was doing the book, what I discovered is that those were pretty much record-setting shares of the vote relative to this is the highest since the original five in 1936, and so that has to count for something too. 
Right. You know, I think if there were, if I could make, if I could make what I was doing on the Hall of Fame a year-round thing, which is to say, if I got a big enough advance on a book that I didn't have to write on a daily basis, which probably is not realistic right now, I would probably do some kind of uh, indexing of the voting or some kind of adjusted voting share just to sort of see and ex- and help ex- see if I could help explain and crack the code for for how this has evolved because you know Willie Mays getting ninety two point something percent is pretty impressive when you consider that that was the highest or whatever you know what what looks weird is Jackie Robinson getting only seventy something percent right you know but then Jackie Robinson only had a ten year career and there were some reservations about rewarding players with with careers that short at that point you know granted what Jackie Robinson did beyond the field was even bigger than what he did on the field but you know it's so obviously doesn't cover the writers in glory with that but there is I wish I think there's more to be explored there and I wish I had time to do it but it's obviously not the most essential thing about about what I'm doing this is a sort of half-baked theory on my part but I know uh, if I if I take off my baseball hat for a moment and put my political science hat back on mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a lot of literature in in sort of voting theory and just research on how you know politicians vote and and you know Congress people whatever, and there are lots of feedback loops that exist around that voting behavior that political scientists observe you know meaningfully alters that behavior going forward, right? So if you get a lower share of the next election, if you have really bad polling results, if there's a, you know, huge outcry from your constituency, it tends to modify voting behavior going forward, which is what we hope, right? We hope Mm -hmm. that voter, you know, voters in high office are responsive to their constituents, sort of how it's supposed to work. But it's often predicated on those votes being public. And so you don't have the same, you don't have the same sort of feedback loop in a Hall of Fame voting necessarily unless people opt into it. And at the same time, you have, you know, you have a necessity for strategic voting behavior because you only get 10 slots. Right. You know, if you could vote for however many people you wanted, I'm sure that like someone like Mariano probably could be a unanimous guy if we assume that the reason people aren't voting for him this, he might be a bad example, but like someone like Griffey, who people aren't going to have the reservations around the position necessarily, you know, there's more room for, you know, you'd be like, sure, why not? Why wouldn't I vote for Ken Griffey Jr.? Why wouldn't right. I vote for Mariana or whomever? But you have a necessity for strategic voting, and then you don't have the usual mechanisms and levers that we see in government that would sort of yeah, no, well, reinforce good I, behavior. I, I think it, I I agree with you for, for the most part there. I will say that that the you know one of the most infamous ballots of of, of recent years, uh, I guess it would have been 2015. Ken Gurnick of of MLB.com with when Greg Maddox was was eligible, he voted for Jack Morris and nobody else because he felt like everybody else on the ballot was tarnished by being part of the steroid era, even if they were not necessarily people accused of using PEDs. I mean, you know, Maddox and Maddox and I mean, it's to his logic, you know, Maddox and, and, and Glavin, despite winning 300 games, they were, you know, they were high profile, you know, members of the union who, you know, who, if they had, you know, I guess could have stood up for more, you know, more, uh, I guess, more proactive addressing of the problem. I, I think that's putting a, a ridiculous amount of weight on, 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 on a couple people. But anyway, it was, a, it was, it was a very twisted logic, but you have to understand that there are some people who, who I think still have, you know, certain reservations about, you know, the past 20 years in baseball who, who might be holding that position, even if they're not publicly advertising it. You know, it's a, the, I think, 
the major change we've seen, you know, over the past few years relative to Hall of Fame elections of of even a decade ago is this expectation uh, of public accountability, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I think you were just talking about there, and without maybe necessarily using the word, you know, and the and the BBWA has largely, I think, gone along with that, you know, to the point that we've seen it with the awards, you know, every every ballot is published, every you know, every uh, you know, every vote, you you know, you can see there's complete transparency there, and the BBWA voted to make it that way with the Hall of Fame votes too, only to be overridden by. The hall itself, you know, it was a 90% almost passage of that decision to publish every ballot, which was supposed to start last year. And then, you know, just before the ballot came out, uh, the hall said that their board of directors nixed that because, you know, well, they didn't explicitly give the reason, but it was obviously to give cover to people who, you know, who didn't want to vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and whatever, right. uh, and didn't want to face uh, the kind of uh, public backlash for that. And, and uh, you know, it, so it's strange. I mean, I think we've, 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 We've asked for and we've gotten a more accountable electorate, but it's still we're we're not fully there. Well, I guess that raises the question of you know, which I I think about every around this time every year when I read your work and the work of others, and I think the the discourse which we don't have to get into in any kind of detail here because it's just the worst mm-hmm. around Kurt Schilling has sort of raised this question for me of like what do we actually want that institution to be right. Yeah. You know, because I'm of two minds. Like, I watched Kurt Schilling as a pitcher. He was amazing. I think that he should be in the Hall of Fame on his, you know, resume as an athlete. He's also the worst. Yeah. Just the worst. Yeah. And, and, and do we really want to reward that? I mean, like, right. Like, why would I, like, I, you know, I struggle with this and I've struggled with it every year now for the last four, but like, why would I vote for a guy whose Hall of Fame speech I would I would boycott after throwing both middle fingers in the air and shouting? Right, <laughs> Dylan, I mean, another swear. It's, it's it's sorry. Um, that's okay. It's uh, you could. That's you why can, we have Dylan. He just bleeps them. Then yeah. we sound sort of um, clean. Yeah, it just I'm I just struggle with that. I mean, like you know, the political differences that Kurt Schilling unveiled before whatever 2015 or 16. You could stomach because there were there it was all garden variety stuff, but you know I mean I think just the the things he did that got him fired by ESPN and you know I think essentially painted him into a corner to the point that he's just absolutely just off his rocker you know doing radio for Breitbart and whatever and and cozying up to white supremacists is just a whole another matter and like I'm not gonna you know I don't want to like you know legitimize anybody who's supporting white supremacists I lost you know my family lost people in the Holocaust I right. like I'm very sympathetic to the idea that that like yeah we should not reward Nazis we should not give them an inch punch all Nazis you know I mean we're comfortable saying that's the official editorial stance of Fangraphs yeah it's it's you know just like there's been a there's been a turn in his public yeah and know, and and public you know and, and he's you know and and he keeps testing it and you know what like he says, he, you know, he says that, you know, whatever. And he's he's basically dared the dared the electorate not to elect him. And and you know, his his vote share is trending upward. He's not gonna he's not gonna get in this year. And you know, I will re- continue to reevaluate what you know whether I include him on my ballots this year. I think it was like it was explicitly that, hey, I you know I can give myself a break on this because he's not going to get in this him. year. And I would rather throw Billy Wagner a vote right. because I've been dying to do it for three years. So right. here's the opportunity. So you know. 
we'll reevaluate the behavior next year. But you know what? I, like, I don't think you need, I don't think you really need to, to hide behind a character clause to say, this guy is a legitimate menace to society. And if you don't want to vote for him, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror after voting for him, then why vote for him? You know, we're, we've already got Pete Rose on the outside of the Hall of Fame. There's a very good chance we're going to end up with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on the outside of the Hall of Fame. And it's not just that they did PEDs or whatever. You know, there are other things in both of those guys' past. I mean, domestic violence in Barry Bonds' yeah. case. There's you know allegations of affair with an underage uh, uh, singer in Clemens's case. These are not great people. Right. You know, and, and if somebody decides that the stomach, you know, that their stomach just can't abide that, that we don't, you know, that we can, you know, that we can stop rewarding these, this kind of behavior – because it's the right thing to do, I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, the hall the hall has moved the goalposts on the character clause so many times right. that we have to, you know, we, we, and which reminds me, I have to write an article about this at some point. That we just we we just have to remember that that uh, these are fluid definitions that they're using, and and that you know, really, you can't force anybody to vote for anybody at the end of the day, and 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 if people are that uncomfortable with somebody's actions beyond baseball then you know what it's it's on that it's on it's on those people to make the change to where somebody can feel good about voting for them well and i i like i've so on the one hand i have kind of been of the opinion at, at various points in my own sort of reckoning with that question that like you know but baseball happened when i was a young person right like baseball happened in mm-hmm. during the steroid era it existed and sure. we should probably have an institution that can mark that time i I agree and account for it but that puts a a burden on and i think an appropriate one on the hall as an institution to then be able to as a museum sort of honestly grapple with those really complicated legacies and i i don't say this to like knock the hall although i guess i kind of am like i'm not so far confident that that is something that they're capable of necessarily at least as the institution is currently constituted yeah i mean it's it's tough i think there's there's a lot of sanctimony from certain quarters within the hall and you know there's there's this purity myth that they call that that certain certain actors call upon within within that i think the joe morgan letter from last year is a perfect example of that right you know to pretend that that uh the game's amphetamine problem which long predated the steroid issue was not another instance of PEDs proliferating the game and becoming the behavioral norm, you know, for decades. You know, I mean, you know, you think these guys who lasted that long, you know, and put up those big career totals, you know, that that doesn't count as, as you know, statistical enhancement via performance enhancing drugs? I mean, come on. Right. You know, that, that's that's completely naive. I mean – you know, those extra 10 games a year you're playing because, you know, you're, you're, you're able to take a greenie and fight through that hangover or the jet lag or whatever. You know, there's, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's different than, than bulking up to the point of, uh, you know, uh, you know, a Maguire or Sosa or Bonds or whoever, but it's not like there was no purity then, you know, and, 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 and you know, when you step back and think about it, every era of baseball has major, major flaws, you know, segregation and limited player pools and you know things like that 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 had a drastic effect on on the quality of play and and you know there we just have to have an honest accounting of of all those eras and and to vote i think you know ultimately i think the answer is just you know understand the history acknowledge the best players from that era while also acknowledging that that era wasn't perfect 
Right. You know, and I think there are part. What's interesting is if you walk through the Hall of Fame. I don't know how long it's been since you've since you've been there or whatever. I've never but, been actually. Well, it's 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 certainly worth a trip, and maybe you know maybe uh, something you can do in the near future when a certain uh, Seattle designated hitter gets in. But uh, um, you know, the, the, there are places where the Hall does acknowledge these things, and right. there is a. Uh, an exhibit within the uh, a whole new ball game uh, area of the hall, which is a very fun and colorful look at the game from the 1970s onward. That that does you know address PEDs, and you've got pictures of Sosa and Bonds and McGuire and you know the home run chase and things like that. And you know they say it's up for, it's up to you to figure out how you feel about this stuff. And you know without I think without trying to bang people over the head on it, and it's like you know and and there are times when the hall really does try to reckon with it in, you know, in a, in a straightforward manner. And then there are times when you feel like, you know, they're letting Joe Morgan, you know, put a thumb on the scale and, and that's, right. and that's uh, uh, unfortunately the direction that things, you know, seem to be taking here the last couple of years. So I don't know. I, I, I am frustrated by the institution, but, but I am frustrated by it, you know, out of, you know, a genuine love for it and, and, you know, desire to to see it uh, improved rather than destroyed. Yeah, it's it's a it's a unique opportunity, I think, within American sports. We, I mean, other sports certainly chronicle their game. Um, so I don't mean to say that it's something that's unique to baseball, but I think the devotion to you know a complete historical record and understanding of the game's different eras is something that baseball and its writers are particularly good at, and so. You know, we we both know too much to be satisfied with with what we have, but also we know so much that we kind of see the potential of what it could be if it were, you know, honed and and perfected and and dealt with honestly and in a clear eyed right. way, which you know will be uncomfortable at times, but also I think has an opportunity to be really amazing and informative for people in much the same way that like I think this series just exposes a lot of people to a whole new. I mean, there are people who don't. There are young readers of our site who shockingly like didn't see a lot of these players ever. Play. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, ever. I, I, look, I'm I'm 49 years old. There are there are Fangraphs readers who are less than half my age. I mean, I'm right. I you know it's it's I take it. I was talking I was talking to um, uh, Alex Belf, original gangster blogger uh, uh, at Bronx Banter, who's been my friend now for about 15 years. I was talking to him yesterday, and it's like you know we take for granted at the at the age that we're at that. You know, we've absorbed the last 25 years of, you know, cultural history in real time. And, you know, the kids who are half our age now, you know, they're, they're reckoning with that in the same way that we reckoned with the fifties and sixties when we were young. Right. Uh, they're, you know, they're not going to get the references to the, you know, the thirties and forties and twenties and times before that, that we had, you know, that we were really had to work hard to get, especially, you know, in pre-internet days. You know, yeah. there's just, you're going to remember the more recent eras first, but you're, you know, like I didn't, you know, I never saw Willie Mays and Hank Aaron play, you know, but, you know, those older than me did. And so that was something that I had to catch up with. And, you know, so it's, I understand when, when somebody is, you know, young enough that they didn't really get to see much of the prime of, you know, Griffey or, or, or whomever. And, and I sympathize. I mean, that's, you know, I always feel like you're, you know, late to the party somehow, but you know, I think the the good news is that we've got Mike Trout and we've got yeah. a whole, you know, fascinating generation of young players that, you know, you will be able to lord your, you know, your your real-time appreciation of them over the, over future generations. So, you know, the yeah. cycle the cycle will uh we'll the cycle will continue. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is it is wild, you know, when when you, you know, when you put somebody on to, oh, I, you know, like I mean, the goal in all of these 
profiles is to try to bring these guys to life. You know, I mean, I Jaws as a, as a statistical system is on Baseball Reference. You don't need my input simply to use it and 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 get uh, uh, get a feel for whether somebody's a Hall of Famer. But you know, it's, it's as the system is not supposed to be just a binary yes or no. You know, I, I'm using three and four three four thousand words to bring these guys to life and to you know to provide some more additional context around their accomplishments and and show that they weren't just stat generating robots that we can give a thumbs up or thumbs down to, you know, based on a single metric. And I think there are people who forget that, especially, you know, even when they try to criticize, you know, what it, what it is I'm doing. And that's always something that makes me roll, roll my eyes, but uh, the people who should know better, but uh, you always respond with grace and, and dignity. And never any, <laughs> never any swear words. Not a single one. Yeah, never. Yes. yes. I am lucky that my employers have just let me, you know, do what I'm doing on Twitter and and just be like, you know, let me dig my way out of my own holes without uh, uh, without too much interference. <laughs> Appleman let me write about a baseball player pooping himself last year. So I think our we have a pretty wide latitude when it comes yeah, to potentially yeah, sure. embarrassing behavior. Yeah. Well, um, so we'll just we'll just go with that. Um, well, Jay, I think that's a good place to stop. I would <laughs> just because you know why not stop on a high note that is misbehaving on Twitter. I would say, do you have anything to plug? But I know the answer to that is literally all the Hall of Fame stuff at Fangraphs.com. Yeah. Right, all the stuff at Fangraphs.com. And if you if you like uh, this stuff, I've got a book, the Cooperstown Casebook, which you can buy hopefully at your local bookstore. It's always good to patronize uh, your your local shops, especially your local indies. You can go to IndieBound.com to do that. If you want a signed copy, uh, you can go to CooperstownCasebook.com and follow the directions on the right-hand side. There's a bookstore in Brooklyn called Greenlight, where I go to sign copies uh, uh, once in a while and uh, oh. personalize them. If you've got a birthday gift or or or, uh, or or whatever. And also you can buy it on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other online retailers that uh, – uh, that suit your preference. Uh, it's from uh, Thomas Dunn Publishers, uh, published in 2017. And uh, uh, very soon, I'm going to be reaching out to see about uh, possibly doing a paperback version of this or some kind of update, uh, in which case I will keep readers posted. But there's no shortage of Hall of Fame stuff uh, on Fangraphs uh, for you to enjoy in the meantime. And we have a handy a little box that aggregates all of it, and all of those pieces have a, a nice little navigation widget at the top, so you can tab through them at your leisure when you're ignoring your day jobs, instead paying attention to what we do with our day jobs. And that has been Jay Jaffe. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Jay, stick around for a hot second, but thank you so much for joining me today. 